0: Wishing you all a super warm welcome to Connecting with Purpose, where we connect with winners and thought leaders from multiple sectors to provide you with a 360-degree view on purpose. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Our purpose, to inspire you to unlock your potential and optimise your performance and impact. Today, I'm honoured to be joined by Steve Two, uh, one of the world's most respected leaders in the business of sport. Um, as the former CEO of the most successful sports franchise in the history of sports, the incredible New Zealand All Blacks. Steve's 40-year career started at New Zealand University's Sports Union with last 25 years being committed primarily to rugby through the amazing Canterbury Rugby Union and the Crusaders prior to joining the New Zealand Rugby Union in 2001 which he took over as CEO in 2007 through to the end of 2019. I was lucky enough to work closely, albeit virtually and briefly, with Steve last year at USA Rugby, and I'm really excited to welcome him as our guest here on Purpose Fuse today. So, Steve, thanks for thanks for being here with us.
1: Uh, kia ora. thanks very much.
0: So, I'm going to kick off, Steve, um, with rather than sort of going step by step through your career, um, we like to sort of get to know our guests a little bit with what we call magic moments. Um, these are sort of benchmark experiences. If you had to give them a score, you'd give them a ten out of ten um because they are experiences or memories that sort of pivotal in your in your development for one reason or another, and you've obviously had an incredible career um when you look back on it, could you perhaps pull out maybe three magic moments that stood out to you and what were they what was it that made them magic and if you had to give each of them a name what would you what would you call them
1: <laughs> well i mean the three without being too. Courtney, the three most magic moments for me are my three daughters. So, you know, you you live you live your life through your kids to an extent, don't you? So, we've now got three adult uh, daughters, and they're and they're all um, making an impact on the world in their own right. So, so that's pretty special. So, you could, I would never overlook that when talking about what's been important in my life. But, I guess uh, from a sport uh, and a, a career perspective, I've been very fortunate to work in an industry that I genuinely believe makes humanity better. Uh, I think communities that embrace not just competitive sport, but active recreation, whatever it might be that gets people physically active and, uh, and I think mentally and physically uh, in better shape uh, is, is, is pretty special to be able to do that all my life. And, and rugby is a sport that I uh, particularly have a passion for, not unusual in New Zealand, obviously. Uh, so I've been very privileged to have been involved with uh, a lot of very, very successful teams um, filled with great people. Anytime you're involved with the team that wins uh, particularly a championship or a a big event like a World Cup or a a Crusaders, they're pretty special. I had, I guess, the first one of those uh, way back in 97 with the Canterbury Union when we won the NPC. That was, I'd call that a pivotal moment because we had a team that um, needed to do better and we made a lot of change. And that was the beginning of an era that that continues with the success of the Crusaders today. So that was pretty special. Um, The day that we were named to host the Rugby World Cup, uh it was in november in 2005 in dublin and no one really gave new zealand a chance of winning that bid uh and i think of the work that's being done in the us right now for 2029 or 2031 it's got some comparisons really because it it's a little bit of a a braver call than than some of the traditional calls people thought new zealand would be too small out of time zones commercially disadvantaged all that sort of thing uh and then we we went on and i think hosted a very successful uh, rugby world cup in 2011 and of course the day we won that by one point against France was pretty special because All Blacks hadn't won a World Cup since 1987, so it was a bit of a it was a bit of a uh, a drag on on our legacy, uh, if you like. So that that moment was uh, was incredibly special, and then it's more it's not so much a moment; it's a, it's about a, a period of time when our game was under a bit of pressure because we had uh, players, both professional and those playing in the community, that were, I guess, involved in behaviour that just reflected some of the 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 realities of society, young men uh, misbehave, um, involved with 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 some of the the darker statistics in our country around domestic violence and and uh, youth suicide and some of the things that afflict young people today. And the game was under a bit of pressure uh, about its culture, uh, a lot of media attention on the game and we took a deep breath and said rather than just blame the fact that we reflected New Zealand, we said we actually can help New Zealand because we have an influence in this country that's greater than uh, most people would, would probably understand, I think, if you don't live in, in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So, we took a deep breath and, and opened up ourselves to a very wide-ranging independent review and created a programme of activity after that which was all about respect and inclusion and making the game a safer, uh, more inclusive place for people to come and play at every level. Uh, and in doing so, confronted some of those, you know, those, those sort of, I guess, um, deep-rooted uh, prejudices, biases, uh, and some of the behaviours that um, we needed to deal with. And so that was a pretty proud moment when we took that deep breath and, and did that work. Um, not, a, not a particular moment in time, it took a long time, and it's, it's ongoing. But, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty special for me. I think, again, that was um, probably a transformational moment for the game.
0: And I was going to dig into culture a little bit later on, but I think this is a good opportunity now um, just to, to look at it from this way. Of, of, Essentially, a challenge with the respect and inclusion program that you have just referred to, um, with some behaviours that that weren't becoming of, of, if you like, of humanity and representative of New Zealand. and certainly not representative of what you would want to see from from the, from the players representing the yeah. union or the clubs. Um, what were some of the What were some of the sort of must haves? Some of the things you absolutely had to do um, to start to change that culture and. And when was it you could see that it was starting to have um, have some holding, and that, that that change was actually taking place?
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting because it's, it's probably a, a metaphor about you know what sort of because people use culture a, a lot uh, around professional sport and high performing teams, and really it's about the environment you create and the expectations of the people inside that environment. So. One thing that came out of the work that was done by the review group was that there was an awful lot of really good things that happened in our game. There were some brilliant examples of rugby being a caring community, uh, a community that intervened at times of hardship or, or stress, uh, of a sport that gave young people at all levels, not just those that were lucky enough to go on and be professional or play for our black Ferns or our all blacks, but even in a club rugby environment young people got an opportunity to learn develop grow uh, have experiences and develop relationships with people that were strong influences on them so there's a lot of good stuff happening Um, but you know ultimately what what the review really needed us to do was just to create an environment where people genuinely cared for each other uh, where we made and this is this is what needs to be reflected in a high-performing team or or a high-performing organization in any in any discipline uh, so yeah, caring environment, you needed to have really good people, you had to have those people uh, sitting in the right seat in the bus, you had to know what the purpose was inside that bus, uh, and I know that's a strong um, angle for you, uh, you know, in my lifetime, I guess purpose has probably had a series of names, depending on what's, what's come out of Harvard at the last the last iteration of the thinking, and, and and currently I think it's actually encapsulated really well with the word purpose, what is it that gives a group of people a common bomb to get on and do stuff and in sport that is obviously train hard teamwork discipline some of the things we've always talked about uh, inside the teams that i've been associated with and bearing in mind you know i've been an administrator not a coach or a player so i'm a little bit on the periphery but you can take some of these things and apply them i think in any into any team whether that be in sport or, or business or family or community for that matter you know it's about having honest conversations it's about dealing with the the awkward facts. That not everything lines up as you would want it to be, right? You, you've got to you've got to deal with stuff. So you, you need to deal with things uh, quickly. You, you've got to pick up the little bits of rubbish before you're living in a rubbish dump. You know, you deal with the little things before they become big things, but also focus on the things that make the most difference. You know, let's not sweat every single little detail. Pick out the critical things that really need to be done right. And I think that's one of the things that you notice if you watch a, a an athlete that performs at a high level for a long period of time they really focus in on what they're good at and they continue to hone those those skills or that particular attribute and they'll focus on a, on a, on a small number of things that they know they need to improve to be better and again they will put a lot of hard graft into all of those sort of things but i, I you know also i mean mark a, we, we have a saying in new zealand hey tangata hey tangata, hey tangata it is the people that is the people, it is the people. And ultimately, that's what it always comes down to. If you haven't got the right people bonded by a common purpose, know their role in that purpose, um, genuinely believe in it, so they're inspired by it every day, um, then you, you know you you won't be successful. And we wouldn't have been successful in kicking off a program of, I guess, uh, activity and honesty around what we needed to do to make the culture of our game more positive for our country.
0: Amazing. And... And I, I guess I, I love what you said um, in, in your opinion on on purpose, not necessarily the latest Harvard thinking, but it's a common bond that sort of yeah. ties people together to get stuff done. Not exact quote, but it was something similar to that. Um, yeah. And, and I, I suppose to me, that's really, really helpful because some of the challenges around purpose are that people think it's a bit, this is just a nice thing and it's a nice thing to have. And yeah, it'd be nice to have a purpose, but like, how does it actually make a difference? Whereas, when you look at it as simply as you're saying, which is, look, it's a common pond that is something that ties us all together to get stuff done, um, it makes, as I would say, makes purpose a bit more pointy. Um, and so when when you look at the um, the all blacks and and some of the other teams associated, obviously with the New Zealand rugby union, all of which are extremely successful, um, how do you view that purpose as being something that actually enables uh, people to perform at their best and enables people to support each other and hold each other accountable versus being just sort of this nice to have thing that, that that maybe sits on a marketing brochure somewhere.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I think we're probably both of the same or purpose or whatever you want to call it. It's not just something you stick on the wall if that's what you do, it won't, it won't be effective. Um, I think inside you know the All Black and the Black Ferns I should mention because our women's team has been actually more successful over time haven't played as many games because that's been the nature of the women's uh, sport for a long too long probably um, period of time but if you look at their winning ratio they're, they're right up there but uh, if we talk about the, about the All Blacks you know p- the, the purpose of the All Blacks in my time it evolved actually because uh, you know initially when the group that I was associated with them we've had two or, two or three iterations of that I guess you know, they really wanted to be a great, they, they call it GOAT, um, and they want to be a great team. Uh, and then eventually that evolved into what they were trying to achieve because they became, they became I guess, the winningest rugby side um, reasonably quickly in the professional era. We were building on a strong legacy because even in the you know in the 110 or whatever it was, years of amateur rugby, the All Blacks had won 70% of the time. First 10 years of professional rugby grew into the 80s. And then in the last, uh, decade or so it's it's hovered around the 90%, which you know, as you kindly pointed out, is is, is pretty special. Um, I, I think the the key thing for that team is that it was always it was always challenging itself to redefine that purpose. And so while it started off wanting to be a great rugby team, then want it wanted to be a great team, not necessarily just rugby. And in fact, then want it wanted to become a great team, not recognized by itself but recognized by others in whatever field you looked at. So they were more interested in comparing not just their winning ratio, but the way they won, the way they carry themselves, the things that they did or do—I should say, because it's, it's, a, it's a living beast—against uh, other high-performing organisations. So they used to start talking about um, the Bolshoi Ballet or uh, the Navy Seals, and the people, you know, our people used to go and visit some of those organisations just to, to get a sense of, of what they could learn from and share from those. Sort of places. But, you know, I come back to it. You know, the purpose is one, but it gets you started. The All Blacks and our rugby teams have a, a distinct advantage in that they inherit this incredibly deep legacy. I think we're fortunate that our, our national um, colour is black. We have a silver fern. It's a very striking emblem. Uh, and there's a, you know, they talk about deepening the blackness of the jersey. They talk about picking the jersey up. And if, you know, if you are, depending on how well you know our game, but if you are Sam... Um, came coming into the number seven jersey after it's been worn for 148 test matches by Richie McCaw, who won something like 137 of those games, you know that that jersey requires you to do something very special when you're wearing it. So you're able to put yourself into the dark place, if you like, both physically and mentally, to make a sacrifice so that when you take that jersey off, it's darker, it's blacker, the legacy has been deepened. Um, and that's an incredibly motivating force. And that's built into the purpose, if you like, of your backs. So they're very conscious of looking after what they've inherited, what they're lucky enough to pick up.
0: And so the, the dark place for, for your guys and girls is is a very special place. It's about leaving the jersey in a better place and, and honoring the legacy that came before you to try to hand something on to the next person that they're equally as proud to to try to better be on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, by a dark place, I mean, I mean the physical and mental pain that you oh, have. Okay, that you have yeah. to experience. You don't have to play rugby. I mean, rugby is a very brutal sport, right? It's a collision sport, so there's a physicality that uh, a lot of people can't cope with at any any level of a game. But and that's that's fine. You know, there's no sport that's for everybody. Everyone picks and chooses what they what they like and and what gets them motivated. But in in preparation both the, the mental and physical preparation, you've got to take yourself, if you want to be a high-performing athlete, if you want sustained success at at the international level, whether you're a rugby player or a rower or a track and field athlete or a swimmer, you have to be prepared to go through a pain barrier. And you have to be prepared to go through it day in, day out, because you have to be the fittest. You have to be the fastest. You have to be the sharpest mentally. You have to be the person that can can respond positively with the, to the pressure that comes from International competition, um, whether that's a, against the clock or whether it's against an opposition that's about to physically intimidate you, um, and that's you know if it was easy, uh, we would have all been Olympians and All Blacks, right?
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. And I know one of the um, one of the most famous I know that not everyone obviously listening to this are rugby players, but one of the most famous All Blacks uh, I used to watch on TV, who funnily enough played in the same position as me, was uh, was Sean Fitzpatrick and. Um, and I've, I've met him a few times. He's, he's involved with Laurier Sports for Good Foundation and, and being an ambassador for the, the power of sport to help um, change young people's lives and the things they can learn out of it. Um, and I know that he, he wrote a book and I might get the title wrong, but it was, I think it was something like Winning Matters. Um, and, and he's one of the yeah. people that can write a book with that title. Um, you would be as well. So, I mean, what, 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 does, what does winning mean to you personally?
1: Uh, well, I mean, I just acknowledge Fitzy because you know, he's a very special um, human being and a great All Black, and he's he's one person that certainly left his mark on that jersey. And his incredibly competitive nature—you know—he he, he competes. You know, he'll, he'll if you he'll compete on who goes and orders the beer at the bar. That's the, you, you can't you can't win with Fitzy. Um So you know you you got to acknowledge people like that. I, I, winning for me, I mean, you know, clearly winning means achieving what you've set out to achieve and if that's in a sporting contest then you want to win it and I'm I'm, you know I've clearly not played at any level that um, would be of note but you give me a dartboard or a a snooker table or a social game of cricket and I'm I'm only really interested in one outcome Um, but it's more than that when you're when you're running an organization or a team that is important to your country and reflects as rugby does in New Zealand it's quite a it's quite a statement for New Zealand offshore. A lot of people, if you talk about uh, our country, they think of the All Blacks before they think of anything else. Uh, so you'll be very careful how you how you craft that winning formula, right? So it is about how you carry yourself. It is about, in our game, certainly in our, in our, in our teams, in our environments, it's about humility. Uh, it is about putting the team first. Uh, and integrity is really important. You know, New Zealand has a very good record in international sport. And I say this not wanting to tempt fate, but... You know, we, we 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 don't have a record of taking um, performance-enhancing drugs. We don't have a record of, of sports betting issues. We, you know, we've got we've got a deep sense of integrity uh, in this country, and even in our business community, I think we're known uh, as honest brokers in in that regard. So I think, for me, yeah, look, winning is about winning clearly, but it's also important to make sure that in getting to that outcome, you've done things right by everybody involved. And nowadays, there's a real focus also. Uh, I'm saying this in my current role, there's a real focus on the well-being of our people and that's not just how they are physically being looked after, it's also about how their emotional and mental uh, well-being is looked after. So that's also important, you know, you can't can't win and break a whole lot of athletes and say that was a success.
0: Yeah, and I I mean, that's a really good point as well, I think, and pertinent with so many things that have been going on in sports and obviously, as you know, I'm based in the US and you, we kind of see this all the time, um, to the extent that certain sports and franchises just seem to be almost like a meat grinder. They just, athletes come in and out they go and a bunch of more come in and out they go. And, um, and I think that to me, that athlete wellbeing and supporting athletes with the skills they need even to transition out of sport, not just from a physical perspective a mental perspective and purpose to me is part of that's a golden thread to that. It, are absolutely critical. Um, what are some of the things that you guys um, have done, whether it be with New Zealand Rugby Football Union or in any of the other roles, um, to sort of take on that responsibility of um, the, 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 the overall well-being of your athletes?
1: Well, we've, we've put it up in lights more recently probably than uh, we, we did in the past, but even way back in the, the mid-90s when the game first turned professional and I had that opportunity to be involved in the early days with the Crusaders, uh, I was fortunate enough to to have a bit of time visiting professional sport franchises around the world. I spent a bit of time in the US, and, and, I, and I don't mean to be critical, but one thing that struck me uh, in your country was the, the very high statistics around um, ex-athletes being unemployed, divorced, bankrupt, alcohol, drug addictions, suicide. Um, that seemed to me to be uh, a, a, you know, something we could learn from. So very early on, we started looking at what kind of uh, programs we could put around players to help them better prepare for life, not just after rugby, but life around rugby. Because, you know, it's very early to, and and nowadays with Talent ID being so sharply focused on young people, um, you're telling a kid very early on they may or may not be able to, you know, they may be able to be a professional sports person and you don't need them then to give up everything else because this is the holy grail, right? It's not going to be a career forever. You are a selection or injury away from that being over, and you need to be better positioned to deal with that um, when you finish. But more importantly, and I think this is really where the whole well-being debate in New Zealand is going, it's because it shouldn't be a it shouldn't be a compliance thing for a sport, right? Have we got all the well-being stuff done mm. that we need to do to look after our kids? Actually, it should be ingrained in your culture. It should be ingrained in your environment. It should be authentic and organic. If you genu- genuinely care for your people and do the sort of things, and these cost money, so the resourcing is always an issue, but if you do the sort of things that are going to help your athletes be better people while they're with you, better able to deal with everything that's going on in their lives, including the time they don't spend actually training and, and playing, competing, then they're going to be better athletes anyway. They're more likely to be able to sustain a longer career. They're more likely to be able to handle the pressure when it's on them in competition, if they've got everything in balance off field yeah but ultimately and I actually I caught up with a, an old friend of mine um, just last evening who's working she's leading this field in, uh, in New Zealand rugby right for our professional players association and it still comes down again to the people so in some environments the work that's been done in that program is welcomed time is found for it it's part and parcel of the daily training environment it's part and parcel of what happens in a, in a week leading into a competition game. But in some other environments where the coaches and the leaders of that group don't see the value of it, it doesn't get the time it needs. And lo and behold, they end up with athletes that don't have sustained success. They don't get the results they want. And they churn through people both physically um, in terms of injuries, but also in terms of selections and and dropping out much more quickly than than the organisations that embrace that.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and I think just from some of the, the words you've used so far in terms of culture needing to be authentic and organic and that would be including the integration of wellness as part of the core dna and responsibility of a group of people that we're trying to get to come together and support and perform at their best let alone what happens to them after they leave we've set them up for success but other things like humility and integrity and team first right team first last. put the others before yourself have each other's backs obviously so, so many takeaways to to life beyond sport or life beyond rugby in this instance. Um, And you talked about the the environment for culture. Um, To what extent does the New Zealand Rugby Football Union um, have a responsibility for and and is able to support the broader um, infrastructure of sports across the country with creating that environment for their clubs, for their kids, for their communities? and, And how... Did you go about trying to transfer some of that from on the field with the players that are performing at their best to the broader, broader community?
1: Uh, well, with difficulty because you know your you reach is only so far. I think th- the most important thing is that you walk the talk yourself. So if you create uh, a good example, and if you've got an environment where that is what you do genuinely, day in day out, and there are always going to be blips, right? There will always be mistakes made. There will always be people who. Um, do something that they will regret, and you've got to deal with that. And hopefully, you can put them on the right path and forgive them and keep them going. Uh, if you do all of that, then leading by example is a really good way of getting some influence. Um, I, I think we've, you know, an organisation like New Zealand Rugby, which I've been out of now for you know a year and a half, uh, has an opportunity to train a lot of people who go back into other environments. Um, you can provide um, resourcing. Um, certainly now, with with online teaching and online resources, you can. You can certainly influence um, parents as first coaches much more than you used to be able to as much more direct because we can go straight to them with, with those uh, types of things. Um, so there's a, there's a whole, there's a, I guess, there's a whole toolkit. Um, but ultimately, it, it, as I said earlier, it, it comes down to the people, right? If the right people are around those community clubs, around those school teams, uh, around those kids and what. Now, people often ask me, why does New Zealand sport um, bat above its weight so much on the international stage? Because it's not just actually in rugby. I think one of the real competitive advantages are, and we have a number, but one of the real ones is that we have a, I think we have an instinct as parents to coach. You know, we like to take our kids outdoors, teach them how to run, throw, catch, hit, pass, whatever it might be. And we take that on and and we coach our kids in their very early sporting experiences. And those, those coaching moments actually will often shape a child's view of a sport because if he or she is not feeling included feeling like she can contribute, he or she can contribute to the team, have some fun with their mates, and that's when winning actually has to be put to one side, right? There's a point. Kids will, kids will keep score if they want to, right? You can play any form of the game, any moderated um, version of any sport and say, well, we're not keeping score. The kids will come off and know whether they think they won or lost. But that's irrelevant. It's, it, did they have fun? Did they get a sense of teamwork? Were they able to contribute?
0: And so okay. So celebrating success is one thing I think that's a very clear takeaway, as you said, from, from sports to business. What are some other things from your experience or observations that you feel sports can learn from business? Um, regardless of whether they're easy to talk about hard to achieve, what do you think's missing in business that are clear takeaways from the world of sport?
1: Well, I mean, it varies a little bit on, on the, I guess, on the business eh, to, a, to a degree. I mean, let me come back to your purpose. You know, if you're a public listed company, you've got a, a range of shareholders that are looking for a financial profit. That's if that's your purpose. Uh, if you're a not-for-profit, then you've probably got a cause you know, you, you, you might be involved in, in helping a, a disadvantaged group or you might be involved in a, a medical you know, cancer issue or something like that. I mean, it comes back to you know, what is it that you get up for every morning to do? That you So that those things will vary a little bit. Yeah, but ultimately, I come back to what we talked about before. You know, you've got to clearly understand what you're trying to achieve, purpose. You've got to have a strategy to deliver that purpose. You've got to have a structure in an organisation that hopefully will align to that strategy and help you deliver the purpose. And then you've got to populate that structure with bloody good people. People that are prepared to work hard, people that are prepared to have a bit of fun, but people that are prepared to have awkward conversations, deal with the difficult and brutal facts, not sweat the little stuff, but pick up on pick up the little bits of rubbish, not let those things accumulate and become big problems, but work, you know, as a group knowing what they, what the contribution they can make to achieve that ultimate um, purpose. Uh, and you know, if, if that is to make a 10% return on EBITDA, fine. If that is to convince a drug company to get that drug on the government listed um, drug agency, maybe even more purposeful in some people's eyes. But ultimately people choose a job that, that they want to do. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we, we all spend a lot of time at work I've been very fortunate that I've spent a lot of time working in, I guess, a sector or a system that I think contributes incredibly positively to society, and therefore, you know, my motivation button was always on high. Um, but everyone needs to get up in the morning wanting to go and do what they're going to go and do, whatever it is. Not all of us have as much choice as we would like in that, um, but ultimately, you, you, I mean, I, one thing that um, a really good friend of mine who's no longer with us used to say you should get up every day and strive to do today what you did. Do today better than you did it yesterday, if if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, just, well, get a bit better every day. Yeah. But, but it, get get a bit better at something you care about um, because you wanted to get up for it in the first place. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, and so when when you look back um, on your career um, and sort of looking at that, the impact, you, you said, you know, if you're lucky to... Have you were intentional as well, obviously, to, to to stay in a sector that you were proud of and wanted to be part of, um, and a sector that could have a positive impact on society. What what are some of the impacts that that you're most proud of, um, that um, that you feel you were able to sort of lead with um, throughout your career?
1: Uh, I guess in a, in a kind of organisational get things done sense, I, I talked about the the approach we took to being more respectful and inclusive and in creating an environment. That tackled some of those really difficult issues. I think that's that's something I'll always be in, incredibly proud of. Uh, I, I saw our game uh, and, 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 and certain teams within it um, help New Zealand deal with some pretty significant um, moments in history. I think uh, the way the Crusaders rallied after the earthquakes in Christchurch in, in 2011 and played uh, the entire Super Rugby competition away from home, that was that was pretty special for the people uh, of that region at the time. Um, you, know, I, you know we had a terrorist attack in a mosque two or three years ago again involved um, uh, the Christchurch community and again the Crusaders were, were called into that debate because all of a sudden people were questioning whether it was appropriate for a rugby team to be named after a group that could be linked to the sort of activities that, that uh, terror terrorist who you know, walks into a mosque and shoots people um, you know, that was, that was pretty confronting. So I think the way we help in difficult times is, is, really, um, uh, is, is really significant. Uh, but I guess the most satisfying thing for me, and this, could have, this would have happened hopefully whether I worked in sport or not, is actually the people that I've worked with, particularly seeing young people come into an organisation, uh, learn some of the things that we've talked about because they've actually experienced them. And then grown and gone on and started to contribute uh, in their own right as, as um, you know, older adults. That's that's ultimately the most satisfying thing I think from a work perspective. Yeah,
0: I love that. So I actually want to take it and flip it on its head. What are some of the biggest impacts? Some of those young people, maybe your daughters, um, if you don't mind talking about that if it's appropriate, or young mm-hmm. colleagues um, that you've worked with. What are some of the, the maybe the top lessons you've you've learned from some of those younger people?
1: Well, our eldest daughter's in the New Zealand Rowing Programme, which is uh, a brutal, high-performance sport in this country. They're very good. They're, you know, top of the game uh, on, on the international uh, scale. Incredibly competitive environment to be selected in. And they go they go into those dark places that you and I talked about uh, two or three times a day. And it's, it's unrelenting. I think the way I saw her respond to the disappointment of not going to Tokyo last year was pretty incredible and, and prepared to continue to work through what we you know we had a lockdown we had to build a gym and pretty much in our garage for her so she could stay on track um you know and here she is now on the verge of hopefully going to tokyo uh in in a few weeks time that, that's quite inspirational i think there's no there's no doubt about that um our youngest daughter's got cystic fibrosis which is a uh, you know a life-threatening uh, illness she's just got on with life doesn't let her define her but she doesn't hide from it either um so she openly talks about it she's now, you know, in the 20s and just about to embark on a, a, a law career. So you take a lot out of watching uh, young people. I'm really, I'm really proud of that. But I, look, I'm, I'm, because I'm so old and I've been around so long, uh, I've worked with a lot of really capable young people who have gone on and done great things. And I've, seen, I've also seen some young, particularly young men, come into professional rugby teams from pretty challenging backgrounds. And if, if it hadn't have been for the game, and the opportunities the game gave them, and then they took. Because one thing to be given an opportunity, it's another thing to take it. They would have had very different lives. You know, probably ended up on the wrong side of the law. May well now be some of you know in the statistics that you and I talked about earlier um, that I noticed at the beginning uh, of the professional game in our country. And so I'm I'm really proud uh, and inspired by some of those stories. And there and there are a lot of them. Um, you know, but ultimately, you know, if you're a New Zealander, it's, it's not hard to be inspired every day. We're a you know, we're a, we're a small country, we we overachieve. Um, I think we do it with we do it with integrity, I think we largely do it with humility as well, and even the way we've dealt with this extraordinary event around COVID. You know, we've locked the borders, which made it easy, but we've lived largely without COVID um, in the community now for the last twelve months. It's come at an enormous economic cost because tourism has been a, a very very important part of our economy for a long time so that sector has really struggled but we haven't overwhelmed our health system we haven't had a whole lot of um, people die of um, the virus uh, so we've done that really well challenging now because we've got to get a virus rolled out underway and that's taking a bit longer than it should i think and you know it's funny isn't it your country criticized um, pretty heavily around its immediate response to the um, pandemic uh, but now probably leaving the world and reopening because you've you've um you've jabbed a, a trackload of people very quickly,
0: yeah, I think we're I think we're up to nearly fifty percent um that' have had at least one vaccination and and probably around forty percent are vaccinated and, and you're like, oh, well, it's still you've got a long way to go, um which is true when you think about the size of the country and three hundred million people, but actually, it's a heck of a lot of people um that have gone through the system um and and yeah, just a dif- a different approach um but it's enabling things to open up and you know I've I've been impressed just looking at different countries and how they've responded and I think that all the ones that have had the right right intent from the start they've had to choose their own strategy and their own tactics for for their own people and their own geography and so on so forth and um it's been yeah I mean it's been interesting to be part of it obviously I think for all of us we've all probably learned a lot and had to overcome a lot of challenges some bigger than others um but yeah, no, it's been um, it, it's been a it's been a, it's a hell of an experience. I think, as you can say fairly, for the last twelve months for, for everybody, um, yeah. and well, but we like, got to work together like this. But <laughs> right. we'll hopefully meet over a beer at another
1: point physically. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I certainly hope so. I think you know, just you know, I probably should mention the, the last of our children because she's a nurse and she she graduated out of university and started her full her first full time job in a hospital in February of last year. So right at the beginning of the pandemic. So, you know, I, I used to watch her go off because, you know, New Zealand, we, we shut the country down. No one was no one was going anywhere. The roads were, were deserted and she was, you know, literally driving through a deserted city uh, to go and be in the front line uh, day in, day out, um, facing something that none of us had ever experienced before. You know, this pandemic has been quite an extraordinary event and you're right, every country's had to deal with it. different ways there's no playbook for it um but yeah there's a there's a you know there's an inspiration in everybody isn't there
0: well you must be so incredibly proud of your daughters and um obviously wishing you all of every success um with their with their future endeavors um and uh that's a nice way to tee up our our last question actually um so we we talk about um purpose you say we've got a purpose use formula for individuals just to try to simplify purpose we unpack it um quite significantly, but at the headline level, purpose equals passion plus impact plus application. Um, And so with our guests, it's quite a nice thing to ask at the end in that um, if you wanted to summarize in one word or up to one sentence for each of these, what you feel you've been most passionate about, um, how you've been able to apply that passion in the world and the impact that you feel that's had, um, I'd love to end on that.
1: Well, as I, you probably gauge from our conversation. I'm, I'm very passionate about people. Um, you know, I think we're very fortunate uh, to, I guess, to be a species that is, you know, highly developed and, and communicates. And you think what technology has enabled us to to be able to do as a, as a as a as an organism in a universe that we don't yet understand. So I'm very passionate about people. No question, that's the thing that's driven me uh, for life. I love working with people. I love meeting people. I love socialising with people. I love sitting around a fire with my mates and having a few beers. That's, they're the things that, that, that drive me. Um, I, I think uh, I've been able to, I guess, build on that passion by having had some opportunities and there's a little bit of luck in that. Um, but I always say, uh, people that work hard tend to have more good luck than those that don't. So there's a, there's a bit of that. Work ethic's really important. Um, I, I've always applied myself. I've taken those opportunities. Um, being prepared to dig in when, when the the going's been tough. And I think you've certainly in sport and in this country, if you're involved in rugby, you've got to have a pretty thick skin because everyone's got an opinion and, you know, you don't win every game and you don't get everything right. And there's always somebody with a view, you know, you can't get in a taxi or an Uber without being told what's going wrong in rugby in this country, if you are sitting in some of the seats that I've sat in. Uh, but it's been fun, you know, so, uh, you know, and I think the answer to your last question, other people really need to judge that. Um, because. Uh, that, that's the way it should should be. But for for me, the the critical thing has been watching some of the people that I've been lucky enough to work with, go on and and uh, become parents, become great um, New Zealanders, and and contribute to uh, this, this beautiful little country we live in.
0: Well, that's a, a pretty humble answer from somebody who was leading the sports franchise that won two World Cups during his tenure. Um, yeah,
1: the, we, also didn't, we also didn't win two, Mark, just so. You yeah. know, <laughs> you know, 2003. I mean, I can't I go I mean, often, you know, people, coaches often talk about you learn more from losing than you do from winning. And I think there's an element of that for sure. Uh, in 96, which was the first year of professional rugby, we went down to Christchurch to um, take the seat uh, at the Crusaders in, in Canterbury. We came last the crusaders were terrible no disrespect to the founding members of that really successful franchise and many of them uh, i'm still in contact with and a lot of them are contributing to the game today because they've gone on they, they they the passion they got for the game has stayed with them and they're now they're now coaching or administrating or what whatever the role might be um but coming last that year was a pivotal moment and sometimes you know you've got to go to that point uh, a to confront the awkward reality the brutal facts of where you're at, um, and B because those experiences often are, are more telling than winning. Having said that, it's always fun to drink out of a cup.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I, I was just trying to trying to celebrate the success, but I fully take your point. You can only, I mean, you can only improve and start anything from a place of truth, um, and that starts with confronting the brutal facts, doesn't it? So. Um, but, Steve, I like, really, really appreciate your time. Um, really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, there's a lot of um, golden nuggets in there for people to, to take away. Um, so really appreciate uh, your time and dialing in from a, from a hotel there uh, to be right. with us today. So um, thank you very much.
1: It's a pleasure, Mark. Maybe if I just add one more thing, I think it might help. That
0: mm.
1: we talk about learning from losing, but you also can learn from winning. And I think a, a lot of successful businesses are really good at capturing what the ingredients are today that are making them successful and what they've got to add to those ingredients to continue to be th- able to thrive but not everybody does that a lot of people don't review success they only review failure and that can be a mistake too so anyway look it's been an absolute pleasure i'm sorry I'm more, more salubrious surroundings i'd like to i'd like to be at home in front of my wine cellar which one day i'm going to welcome you into oh
0: i've looked forward to that i've got a cousin over there so i've got a great excuse to come over again. I was there for the Rugby World Cup in uh, 2011 and said I would always be back. So I'll take you up on that, Steve. Thank you.
1: You'll be very welcome. My pleasure.
0: (laughs) Cheers.